This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. We say Ayo, you know we're back on our J-O, tell me how could I say no? Spooker's new O, whatever we say goes. Yeah, because A-O, you know we back on our J-O. Tell me how could I say no. Reshers, what is up? It's 2021, Shag. I'm full of energy, full of beans, full of spark, full of life. How are you? A beer on my keyboard. I'm good, man. But Peach, what's going on? Because we usually record this on our Friday lunch breaks and you're cracking a beer. And in my industry, that's pretty much the most common thing that could happen. But I understand lawyers are loath to drink during lunch breaks. What's going on? Yeah, man. Like, look, I'm, it's, I'm on, it's my last day of holidays. Whatever. I live on Mars. Law, what? Never heard of it. <laughs> Having a job, never heard of it. Like, what is going on? What is up? I'm... Like, one of my thoughts coming in was that there could well be an energy mismatch because I'm basically, you know, on a Fijian beach at a dance party playing only music I like with only people I like and having the best time. Are you back at work, Googsy? How are you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I am back at work. Cheers to that. You know what's crazy, though? So, through the magic of podcasting, we've released an episode every week, but mm. we actually haven't spoken since we recorded our Christmas episode mm. those many moons ago. Mm. And, Peach, I'm so glad that we're doing this episode today because there's so much I have to catch you up on and yep. to catch up with you on. Hugely. Yeah, like, I'm super amped. Sick, sick, sick. Let's do some admin. Okay, all right. So, a little bit of admin. First of all, um, during my break, I did a lot of listening. I know we do a bit of sh- shouting out to podcasts during this podcast. Yep. Usually, it's you shouting out to them because you listen to a whole lot more than I do. But <laughs> yeah. I've been super getting into this comedian, Jamie Loftus, who has this... It's not a, It's absolutely not a funny podcast, but she's done this podcast called Lolita Podcast, which is basically exploring the book Lolita. And at the very beginning, she's like... I'm not out to cancel this book. I just want to add some like nuance to the story around it. And what I think is really good for us as a show, you know, one of the things we've grappled as a show that goes back over old horror films from eras where pretty much everything was problematic is what do we cancel and what don't we cancel? And I think in 2021, you know, as people with souls, as people, you know, who are trying to like uh, create content that won't age terribly in 10 years when our kids listen to it and they'll Mm. be like, what the fuck were you thinking? We just need to add nuance to things. So I'm not out to like cancel everything. I'm just out to just, just accept that a lot of the things we're going to talk about involve things that 
aren't necessarily cool and that doesn't mean that that's the end of them but it does mean it's something we have to add to our interpretations of them. Now if my energy's changed markedly on hearing you mention Jamie Loftus's podcast it's because Jamie Loftus co-hosts a podcast with someone called Caitlin Durante that I've been trying to recommend to you for the last five years <laughs> and I'm sure you've never listened to. <laughs> it's called The Bechdel Cast. I basically consider myself the Jamie Loftus of this podcast. So it's a fucking classic moment of Peach trying to assign you some friendship homework that of course you never did. And it comes full circle for you to be like, Peach, have you heard of Jamie Loftus? I'm like, yes, I, I told you about Jamie Loftus. She's super smart and funny, and just by way of background, her getting Mike's Hard Lemonade sponsorship for the Bechdel cast, which everyone should listen to, was my inspo for trying to get Resh's sponsorship for Spooko. So to the extent we've achieved any of that, it's all down to Jamie Loftus being the fucking best, along with her co-host, Caitlin Durante. Lolita Podcast, amazing. Um, The Bechdel cast is amazing, where they basically use the Bechdel test to go over old movies. It's fucking amazing. It's the best. All right, well, look, I am learning a lot already in this podcast, so this is fantastic. But, okay, so, 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 so. Mm. The last time we chatted, we recorded what was last week's episode where we talked about our New Year's resolutions. Super excited about you watching a film yeah. all the way through this year. We're going to do that with Jordan Peele Presents, I think, Candyman, because yeah. he's not directing it. I never know how that works. It's like when... Remember in the 90s when Quentin Tarantino used to present lots of things and everyone would be like, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. (laughs) Congratulations. But the other resolution we made is that Mm. we were going to create the great Christmas horror film that doesn't exist yet because it's a void that needs to be filled. And one of the things you spoke about was how do we start from scratch to find a really good horror premise? Maybe we don't have to start from scratch. Maybe we grab something from the public domain. You mentioned Edgar Allan Poe. Now, Peach, again, just to add nuance to Edgar Allan Poe, after listening... He co-hosts the podcast you recommended (laughs) (laughs) But after listening to the leader podcast, so Edgar Allan Poe, horror author from like the Renaissance or something, I don't know, he's from like a million years ago, <laughs> At the, uh, as a 26-year-old married his 13-year-old cousin. Uh. And I'm like, it's enough that he married a 13-year-old. Adding the fact that it was his cousin into the fold is, is, is a lot. So, look, there's, I'm not saying we don't have to adapt... Uh, is it just a bad bloke genre? Like, I know a lot of it is anarcho-syndicalist, and I applaud the platform. I feel like the horror films whose messages I applaud are pretty shit. (laughs) So I feel like people making good horror films are bad blokes. I don't know. Jordan Peele seems pretty switched on, but it seems to be a bad bloke. Bad bloke genre. And I use the word bloke markedly and deliberately. There's an element of truth to that in that you kind of have to have some darkness to you or at least some damage in you to create these sorts of stories. Mm. But yes, I, I'm not saying we can't do Edgar Allan Poe, but I have <laughs> potentially a solution in that I noticed over the last couple of weeks, another work, famous work found its way into the public domain. I've never actually read it or seen the film, but I have heard the soundtrack that was curated by Jay-Z. So I feel like I know a little bit about it. The Great Gatsby. Could we turn, Peach, as I'm a, like, you're a man of words. I imagine you know at least the story of this this book and film. As someone, I don't know anything about The Great Gatsby. Could we adapt it into some sort of a horror film? I, I feel like it, 
it is probably reasonably good fodder. Like, I read it a thousand years ago and can't remember it at all. Isn't it like some <laughs> fucking rich idiot, like, is a fucking idiot or something is essentially the plot? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm pretty sure, like, even not knowing anything about it, I'm pretty sure the moral is being rich isn't all it's cracked yeah, up to be. Like, I get it confused with the good soldier in my head, which is also probably highly regarded trash, much like Great Gatsby. But, yeah, in essence, I do think happening in the outsider seduced into a new world that isn't quite what it seems is a, is a pretty useful theme. But can I, can I answer that 45 degrees? I was thinking that Spooko Studios, having smacked one out of the park with Kinder, the first of a trilogy... I don't think we've quite worked out what the central mystery in Kinder is yet. I completely agree. But it is in the same universe as the second film, Doppel, and the third film, Chardon, each of which are like halves of like Anglo-inflected Teutonic <laughs> words, right? What's Chardon? Where's Chardon from? from Schadenfreude, right? So Schadenfreude is that awesome German emotion of taking pleasure in someone uh. else's pain. Is that, I didn't know that's how you pronounce it. There you go. And so it's like a, it'll be one of those films where we're, we're sort of reveling in the pain of others. Doppel will be a doppelganger film that plays on my complete horror of being replaced. So of having a, you know, having one of the tethered, you know, tethered peach come in and be like, by the way, I'm raising your family now and locking you in the basement or whatever. So I think if we can force the great Gatsby into... Chardon, let's put it in there. So basically, Chardon is a horror themed Great Gatsby remake. <laughs> we'll just throw in some zombies or something, or throw in a virus. It's post COVID culture. We probably should yeah. throw in some sort of a virus. It'll be super relevant. Um, I heard um, The Invitation on Too Scary didn't watch recently, and now I'm obsessed with the idea of a play and a movie crossing over because Shag the Invitation is about a dinner party where everyone comes around <laughs> and truths are revealed and I'm like, oh, sick. the easiest horror film is just a play. <laughs> it's a dinner party where people come around. Because in, in every play, the truths revealed are either some sort of infidelity and it says a lot about human relations <laughs> or it's some like dark, like somebody was a Nazi and then one of the other guests was in a concentration. And I don't mean that. I, I don't mean that flippantly. I know me talking about that sounds flippant. That's what these plays always are. It's like one person was like, wait, were you the doctor who was administering the torture? And it's like, but they're just friends. Of- yeah, plays suck, basically. I'm sorry. They're, just, they're all the same. We've got editing now, plays. Go home. <laughs> so, Peach, what I'm really excited about here is, and I know our podcast is about getting you over your fear of scary movies, and we'll get to today's scary movie, which is very tangentially related to everything we've talked about today. Sick. But one of my big beliefs of creativity is that you do have to work to get to ideas. But we've talked about doing workshops and brainstorms, or as you know, we call them ideation sessions now, yes. and they are great ways to start the process. They are the worst ways to end a process. I don't believe having a brainstorm and then ending up with a finished idea is ever a great idea because the ideas never feel fully fleshed and never have time to really grow. Can I just ideate how I think we'll execute? (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited about this. I think you and I come in with like a rough A4 page of like start, finish, three or four characters, four or five this, 
and we speak to our respective spouses about you and I hiring a house for three days or five days and really fucking being like, all right, 9am through 11.30 is work. 11.30 to 1.30 is hanging out and chilling and cooking. 1.30 through 4.30 is work. 4.30 to 6 is chilling. 6.30 to 8 is like, is work. And just sitting down and really emerging with something that actually looks like something. So I'm I'm ideating the execution. Don't worry. I like I'm with you. No, totally, totally. And what what I think what I think you've already proven with mm. your trilogy, which I really like the sound of, and yeah. I would totally watch Chardon, Doppel, and I can't. What's up? Kinder, oh, Kinder, Kinder's, Kinder, Kinder, Kinder Dop, got Doppel, and Char- I would totally watch all mm. of these films. Is the fact that. We've, we've had some sessions on this podcast, but then you've allowed your brain to just go away and in the background while you do other things, while you do your lawyer stuff, while you deal with the sand in your life, in the back, there's been some small compartments of your brain that have slowly been putting these threads together and creating this trilogy out of nowhere that only came because we started the process and then you gave it some time to breathe. I'm super excited about that. I'm probably going to need to watch at least one horror film, though, in order to write a horror film. <laughs> That's probably fair. <laughs> There's something to be said for outsider art. There's something to be said... For art that's so removed from the scene, so you have no... I mean, you're already, it would already be outsider art because your understanding of horror films, you're like those... You know those stories of the, the, the tribes cut off from civilization yes, for yes, years yes, yes. and they create their own versions of mathematics or whatever? Yeah. It's the same thing. Having never seen horror films, you're basing your understanding of them <laughs> off Wikipedia synopsis and trailers, which doesn't do justice to the boringness, the low production values, <laughs> the, the truth the of horror films. <laughs> so you're going to create something entirely new. So yes, we will watch a film, but I think there's something important of your outsider's perspective. But look, all of that aside, all of that aside, today we're doing a film from 1984 called Ghoulies. Jonathan is having a housewarming party. Whoa! What do you guys want to do? I got an idea. Let's do a ritual. You'd have to do the hokey pokey and turn yourself. Hey, knock it off. Well, that was fun. No, no, wait, I, I need to dismiss the spirit. Unfortunately, there will be some surprise guests. They have very bad manners. And they have no respect for privacy. They'll wake up the neighbors. What the hell's in there? And they never take no for an answer. Once they show up, you can never get rid of Ghoulies. They'll get you in the end. So we kicked off today with a bit of a half-festival, half-hard-working atmosphere. It was a challenging... It was a 50-50. And I think I'm equally confused now. Like, you know... In some ways, the past is gone forever. Like in some ways, like nostalgia exists, and it's always good to try to get your head in the frame of mind of people who would have been appreciating media at the time. But I just can't get my head into a frame of mind where that looked in any way real at all. Like it, <laughs> it's such a mental trick you'd have to play on yourself. What the fuck? 
the nostalgia point's a really good call in that nostalgia is probably one of the most dominant forces of culture. Like the greatest sportsman of 2020 was Michael Jordan. You know, it was just fucking ridiculous. Like, I haven't played the game. You, like, you know, <laughs> and I think, you know, one of the reasons why the idea of Christmas movies is so strong is purely based on nostalgia. And I think mm. it's interesting that things don't instantly become Christmas movies. I mean, arguably some do. Like, maybe Love Actually didn't take that long. From what I understand, Die Hard is only a very recent Christmas film. Like That's now so it's right. Seen... All those tweets of like, by the way, it's a Christmas movie. And you're like, oh, fucking <laughs> congratulations. It took like a series of Christmases. It's a journey to become a Christmas movie. And so when I talk about there being no horror Christmas film, I'm speaking a half-truth because arguably... Gremlins, or Gremlins is how it's supposed to be pronounced, but I'll call it Gremlins till the day I die, is slowly ascending to become that film. And, you know, we're racing against the clock to beat to beat Gremlins or Gremlins. Or... <laughs> I, I don't know why I call it Gremlins, but it just, it sounds better. Gremlins sounds weird. Gremlins <laughs> rolls off the tongue. I strongly agree. That 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 air takes longer than the ear. Like, the mm. Grem is a longer than the Grim. You know, it just flows the grim gremlins. I'll call it gremlins from now. I think that's good. I like it. I'm nostalgic for the time before I before I changed it, but aside from that, it's good. <laughs> so, so Ghoulies is tangentially related to our conversation through the fact that it was seen as a ripoff of Gremlins because it came out after, but it was actually created at the same time and. This story I think is really interesting. So first of all, Ghoulies is a 1985 American horror comedy film, uh, Gremlins coming out in 1984, directed by a guy called Luca Bercovici, whose film after this, I've, I've just got to tell you about this, this sounds amazing and we should probably eventually watch this, <laughs> maybe in another podcast, because it was an American comedy film called Rockula, <laughs> and the tagline, <laughs> the tagline for Rockula is, he's a vampire that hasn't scored in 400 years, tonight's the night. <laughs> That sounds like my favourite movie. Or a movie I watch at 1.75 speed and I'm like, mm, I get it, Rockula, classic. That's the, the Rockula, I think, would be one of those films where the tagline and idea is amazing, but yeah. sitting through all 72 minutes Ugh. of it. <laughs> if it took 45 minutes, you'd be, I'd be down for Rockula. <laughs> Ghoulies was originated as a one-location horror film, uh, like which... Or the platform. By Luca Bercovici and his writing partner Jeffrey Jeevy. Uh, the concept was pitched by Bercovici to executive producer Charles Band, with whom he previously worked as an actor on the film Parasite. Not the film that won many Academy Awards. <laughs> Not the Korean film made three decades later. <laughs> Just to clear that yeah. up. Now it originally began shooting in January in 1984 and obviously because it's a one location film should have been wrapped up pretty quickly right but during its fifth week of filming there was a dispute between the distributors and Charles Band the producer uh, over a misrepresentation uh, which I assume in legal terms is basically Charles Band lying about how much distribution and how much money they were going to make from this film. You can also misrepresent by silence. So you can say, hey, we're going to make heaps of money, are we? Being like, 
<laughs> right, so you can be like, well, you didn't say no. And I was so... like, yep. I was like, look, just, just let me know if we're going to make less than this. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't see if it's just not saying anything but shrugging really violently. <laughs> All right, now because of this and a few other things, they ran out of money halfway through filming, so they had to shut down, allowing Gremlins to come out. And then it got released in 1985, and everyone was like, oh, this is just a copy of Gremlins. And they were like, we were making it at the same time. Like, it's, yeah. I love them like, this is so unfair. You should have liked our film more. And it's like, well, like, what do you want? Like, it sucks. Although the idea of a small monster coming out of the toilet does actually freak me out. That's a minor phobia of doing a poo with your bottom over the toilet and checking your phone oh. or whatever it is. And some monster be like, by the way, I'm down here. I would be pretty freaked about that. I'm amazed. Like, it does come up in horror a bit, but I'm amazed it doesn't come come up in horror more how vulnerable you are in the toilet. Like, I understand that, like, all, you know, scatological things in American film is, like, taboo, and I get that. But you are at your most vulnerable. You are literally sitting there with your pants down. Like there's a there's a there's an aphorism based on the you know <laughs> you've been caught you've literally been caught by what you've, is the uh, answer that Spooko Studios yeah. needs to come up with yes yeah anyway okay I would like to set this up because you know you talk about that poster you know the ghoul it's such an iconic poster it's one of those you know posters I remember from being a child seeing that in the racks. You know, that idea of this evil green monster out of a toilet. I'm not saying it freaked me out, but it definitely inspired something in my imagination. But coming to do something to your butt, like, what is it there to do is the thing that freaks me out a little bit. It's like, well, I'm right under your butt here, Shaggy. And it's like, oh, <laughs> fuck, like, why are you there? Like, ugh. Mm. Yeah. It's, a, it's pretty scary. It's yes, pretty spooky. Hugely. It has really no relation to the <laughs> film at all. The other thing, I think there's one shot where, where one appears out of a toilet, but... It's for completely unrelated reasons to anybody being attacked. There's also the tagline, they'll get you in the end, which, again, has nothing to do with the film. Your butt is your rear end, I guess. But then if they're not really going for your butt, I don't know. Maybe I'm giving him too much credit with that. I think think maybe I'm giving him too much credit. (laughs) No, but also after after your triptych idea, maybe we should swap jobs. Maybe I'd be a really good commercial litigator. You actually would. (laughs) But I think I'd be fairly bad at you. I'd be like, come on, guys. Another idea's coming. Just keep on. Keep at it. (laughs) I believe in you. (laughs) Based on nothing. Sorry, guys. So I I was going to read the Great Gatsby Wikipedia synopsis before this, but I ran out of time because I had a meeting that ran late. We covered it. Uh, It's fine. One of the things I love about this podcast is... Wikipedia synopsis vary depending on the medium that they're describing. And the degree of popularity as well. True, 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 true. But no book sounds good in a Wikipedia synopsis because, I mean, we talk about nuance before. Forget any kind of, like, basically, you describe any book and they suck, basically. (laughs) Like books are about books are about how they're described. Books are about world building. You can't do that in a Wikipedia synopsis. But 
in a horror Wikipedia synopsis, you get some good stuff, like the very first sentence of this. So, yes. During a ceremony with a satanic cult. Great, great it, opening. Great <laughs> opening sentence. <laughs> so everyone's in Black rows. Woods, oh, yeah. Um, um. yeah, like there's a pentagram on the ground. Because it's the 80s as well, it's really well lit. So <laughs> it's... I'm not saying it's, you know, scout hall at night, well lit, but middle price bistro, going for mood lighting, but they still want you to be able to see, you know... <laughs> the nice presentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. It's So that sort of lighting, right? Not scary lighting in any, you know, way, shape or form. I'm in restaurant Aris. That's good. R.I.P. <laughs> so Malcolm, the leader, is about to sacrifice his child named <sighs> Jonathan Graves when his mother, Anastasia places a talisman around his neck that shocks Malcolm. And it does, like, in that cheesy, like, like a crappy After Effects sort of lightning bolt comes out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Okay, cool. So he orders a participant named Wolfgang to take the child away and sacrifices her instead. Uh, I feel like another relic of the past was treating things like the murder of your own child or the murder of your wife as like, oh, he's pretty bad. It's like this is deeply, deeply fucked. And I imagine it's like, oh, the bad guy nearly did what he wanted, but he'll do something similar now. <laughs> like this like this is the horror film. Like we, like we just saw the most horrific bit. Did we not? You, you know? <laughs> What's worse than that? <laughs> Fuck. So wait, it, it actually does. Like, I actually quite like the story of this film. It's somewhere, it's a cross between like a Muppets film, <laughs> Star Wars, and an 80s horror film. Like, this is a bizarre fucking film. And it's the, it's the sort of film that could only be made in the horror genre. <clears throat> so, so the next, I love this next sentence. At some point, Malcolm died and the cultists disbanded. <laughs> So by at some point, it's in the coming years, Malcolm, the leader who tried to sacrifice his son, Jonathan, and killed his wife instead, dies, and the cultists don't really exist anymore. When you're drafting affidavits as a lawyer, um, you always start each paragraph, or you should. Most lawyers don't because they're shit and I'm better than them. But (laughs) the ones who are equivalent or only marginally worse than me, um, and there are a few, um, properly draft their affidavits by saying the time at the start of each paragraph. And so if you don't know the time, you go sometime after X, but before X, and that's what you should do. So sometime after 1968, but before 1982, Malcolm died and fucking off the cult went. Peach, if you're ever looking for a new intern, you should go through the Wikipedia writers <laughs> list. Contributors. And just be like, dude, like you've already got the lingo down. Would they be really cheap? <laughs> <laughs> Is that, should we take this off air? Should we actually take, this is not very anarcho-syndicalist. This is a very capitalist question. <laughs> Where can I get that cheap labour? <laughs> I withdraw that question. <laughs> I want to pay them heaps. Yeah, man. <laughs> anyway, so at some point, Malcolm died and the cult is suspended. Back to, back to the synopsis. 21 years later, an adult Jonathan and his girlfriend Rebecca inherit his late father's estate, which is the same spooky mansion where in the basement there was a satanic ritual. But he doesn't know. Uh So he's not aware of this. So again, yes, I wouldn't move into the place that I was almost murdered in a satanic ritual. Or maybe I would, actually. I don't know. (laughs) In Sydney especially, property is really hard to come by. 
I think it's an interesting question. You know, like people always say, oh, I'd never live in a murder house. I'd live in a murder house in a second if I liked it. I wouldn't think about it for a second. And the concept of closure is really part of the zeitgeist as well. To be like, oh, get some closure in here too. You'd be like, oh, tell me more. Tell That's me a good more. point. That's a good point. That said, though, having a child now, I am well aware that there are multiple times in my life where I've noticed golden child seemingly communicating with something that isn't there. And I'm pretty sure children can see ghosts. I... As someone more scared than you, uh, you're wrong, but I, I, I'm pleased that you got so much love for your child's superpowers, and I respect that. <laughs> You've never seen one of your children weirdly communicating with something that wasn't there. With the greatest of respect to Golden Child, um, they are under the age of 10, and I think that's not identifying them too clearly. And their ability to perceive the world or the netherworld is still developing, and uh, but they're an outsider. That's why. That's why they're abilities are the They're outsider clairvoyants. That's how you get superpowers. In fairness, the X Men were all unpopular. Yep, I'm with exactly. you. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. It took me a while to realize that the X Men was just like a metaphor for racism and stuff. But I love that you do a metaphor for racism using all white characters. Of like, let's talk about <laughs> racism, you guys. But we cannot have any other races in there. <laughs> we really need to make sure. <laughs> it's also that fucked thing where it's like we really need to create a story where white people are oppressed. Like, <laughs> That thing where, like, I feel really oppressed by not having anything to be oppressed about. Can can you just create something where I'm oppressed and I can feel, I can just feel a little bit of the oppression that you feel daily. But just, I can just dip my toes in there. Fuck, and there are heaps of testamentary and wills and estate questions raised by this plot as well. Like, this is maybe the greatest film we've done in a huge shock to me. <laughs> it deserves its festival atmosphere. I'm having the best Actually, time. that's a good point. Like... My dad was a cultist and tried to kill me, but he killed my mother instead. I still get his house. So let's say, so, oh, Shay, this is another segue, <laughs> right? It, it, so uh, it, it, in order for probate of a will to be granted, right? And again, Adrian, chime in and correct me. Probate is like this court, uh, is the word the court uses. to essentially means prove, right? And essentially... If the court stamps someone's will, it's the court saying, yep, that's his last will or her last will or their last will. And the reason you want the court to do that is to stop the will I made five years ago that says all to shag, um, having the grant of probate being, being, being sealed when one day ago I made a will saying, fuck shag, all to my children. That makes sense? Yeah. So the grant of probate means you've proved that, that is the last will. So then you go hold it up to the bank or hold that up to um, the land registry here in New South Wales to say, oh, by the way, it's all going to me. If it's in a state where the would-be testator has died intestate, where they've left no will, then the will will have to be administered pursuant to the rules of intestacy, which I think means it falls all to the offspring, which means he must have had some dealings with the administrator of the uh intestate's estate, the intestate father's estate, or may have indeed been the administrator himself. Like This film is surprisingly complex and maybe it's good fodder for Doppel. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's all about a testamentary dispute, Doppel. I, I, I think that's good, Rich Fodder. So I guess, look, I, I'm, I'm loath to delve into this too much further, but uh, what, what, I guess that what I'm trying to get to is mm. if I am a awful person 
create like you know i'm if i am god my god please i am not this but if i was say a suicide bomber or someone who yes. caused mass havoc like a cult leader who sacrifices babies and become a true public enemy do yes. i forfeit my rights to give my property to my kids when i die i don't think you do um so so your your right to express your testamentary intention is not an equitable right of yours i'm pretty sure it is the opposite. It is that it is a beneficiary's equitable right to share in your estate that is the issue. So if we spin that example around, if I'm the sole beneficiary of your estate and I murder you, to be like, oh, great, I'm, I'm in Shag's will, good night, Shag. Even if I go to jail, do I still get to take your money? Right? That's, that's an interesting question, isn't it? You've, you've expressed what you want to happen. It all goes to Peach. Yeah, that's a good point. Right, so you clearly expressed it, and you you're smart. And there's person. no clause in your will that's like, now if they kill me, they don't <laughs> exactly. Get it. That clause doesn't exist. And so the the equitable maxim is you must come to equity with clean hands. So you cannot claim equity. I can't claim my equitable entitlement to distribution from your estate unless I come to equity with clean hands. Unless I've done the right thing in coming to equity. And so, in the sort of murderer beneficiary example. There's no entitlement there. But I think the awful testator example, I think the awful testator can still express um, their or her or his testamentary intentions and that to be binding. So Jonathan and his girlfriend, Rebecca, inherit the father's estate where they find the several... The girlfriend books on... inherits? Well, it's a Wikipedia synopsis. Okay, yeah. They move in together, basically. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and they find books on magic and a basement full of occult paraphernalia. But it's all, like, under, like, cloths. So they go down in the basement and it's like they take up a cloth and it's like, oh, what's this weird pentagram? What's this occult paraphernalia? What's... <laughs> what is all this occult paraphernalia? So when they later throw a party and invite their friends, Jonathan recruits them to perform a ritual in the basement for fun. Is this like when someone brings a board game that no one's really down to play? Everyone's like, guys, oh, Settlers of Catan, that game I've been telling you about. And everyone's like, oh. It's exactly like that. And it's like, that is the most perfect uh, simile in that it is exactly like when someone brings a board game to a party and no one wants to play. So that's what's happened, except the board game is the occult rituals that he doesn't know yet that his dead uh, parents used to try and sacrifice him. Uh, Me and um, my wife and my former retail colleague at the retailer Gowings who just moved from Queensland and his girlfriend... Had dinner at their apartment one night and they were like, have you guys played Risk before? <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst night I've ever had in my whole life. <laughs> it's like 19 years ago, 18 years ago. I'd be like, oh shit, where am I going to put my army? Oh no, <laughs> oh, you moved your army. Oh shit. <laughs> Pretty sick game. Risk does everything bad in a board game. And like, again, I'm not trying to cancel Risk, but... <laughs> Risk has the two deal breakers that all board games shouldn't have. It relies too much on luck, number one, mm. and it takes far too long to, to play through a whole game. I think the sub, the third sub that you and I would agree with, it makes you angry with the people you're playing with. Mm. Yeah. You don't sort of vibe into it. You're like, fuck you, Shag. Like, I was trying to, you know, achieve whatever. Like, it, like it adds a level of antagonism to the amazing dinner party you're at that you just don't need. 
And yeah, anyway, look. Okay, let's get back to this thing, though. My God. Come We're away. only in the first yeah, paragraph. Someone's going to eat my butt. Come away. We just, we haven't seen each other for a while. You're on holidays. I'm it's just. <laughs> Imagine when we do one of these in the studio. Sorry, I get sidetracked again. When we do one of these in the studio, holy shit, again, Shag, in person, I'm going to cause a rocket. It's been nearly a year. Man. Oh, FBI are going to kick us out real fast. You're welcome. So, 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 so. There we are in the house. So It's the 80s. So everybody's comically dismissive of this ritual and they all want to go off and have sex. They're like, guys, what? Like, we could be like all like going off to have like sex in different rooms in this house instead of doing this ritual. Jonathan gets really annoyed because he's super into it. Can't you have sex at your house? Like as well as like, I don't come to my friend's house to have sex there. <laughs> I can have sex at my house, like not to brag, but that's my most common sex venue. Rather than invite us around. Imagine if that's how dinner parties end. It's like, okay, so who's got the, the spare rooms down there? And we don't have a big house, so it's like, well, we've got a sort of laundry bathroom out the back, so someone wants to... We've got a big deck, so if someone wants to... It'd be a drawing straws type scenario, like, no, someone's got the cubby house, sorry, dude. We've got a driveway, it's pretty pretty covered. We've got a tent. (laughs) Okay. Nothing happens, everyone leaves, but a small creature begins to materialise in the basement, and... The effects in this film are actually pretty fun. They're very sort of... I, 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 I say the Muffets are the star because they're very Jim Henson-esque. Mm. You know, like this is pre-computer graphics. This is very much puppets with layers of slime or jelly or whatever they put on monsters to make them look slimy. Uh, it's quite well done. I, I enjoyed it. There was, there was something a bit spooky about it but also kind of magical in that sort of like Star Wars-y, Jim Henson-y sort of way. Nice. So anyway, the next day, Jonathan tells Rebecca of his decision to quit college and work on the estate instead. He's like, no, there's just heaps of things to fix around the house. She's, sorry, go on. Every actor in the preview, every male actor in the preview was 45 years old. (laughs) (laughs) Of course he can quit college. He's 15 years deep in his consultancy career. Like, what does he need to do? (laughs) She's quite upset by this because she knows there's clearly something wrong. Like, it's not like, he's not happy-go-lucky. He's quite focused on the house. But she lets it go. Now, anyway, while cleaning up the house, Malcolm's ghost, so remember, this is the dad, of, and he doesn't quite know, he doesn't know his dad tried to sacrifice him, but his ghost influences Jonathan to go into the basement to perform another ritual. The other thing, the when we talk about nuance, I think the fun of horror films is they take out all the nuance so you can just skip to the fun bits. But it's that idea that there's just, like, the ritual in, in horror films in the magic books is always, like, halfway through the book. And you just magically open up the book. And the book's usually, like, a thousand pages. And there's just <laughs> this one page right in the middle where the ritual's all on one page. And it's kind of like, how did you get there? Were there other rituals? What's in the other, like, 999 pages? But this is what's happening, right? So he yeah. goes down and... <laughs> it's all he, building up. Sorry, yeah, yeah. So, Imagine the audio book of that. No, sorry. Let's <laughs> Rebecca's concern grows when Jonathan refuses to eat, explaining that he is fasting, which most of the world does anyway now with the, what is it? The 16-8 yeah. 
uh, fasting day. 16-8 and then 5-2 and two and IF and all that sort of excitement. Al, mm. Al got really angry with me when I stopped eating breakfast for like three days. He was like, you've got to eat breakfast. And I was like, Al, <laughs> don't worry. Breakfast is there for me. I, I actually do the fasting thing and I don't eat breakfast anymore. And I, I, I hope that's good for me. I don't know if it is. I don't think I did enough research. I don't know if I've done enough research, but I'm fully on the train now. So I guess I ride or die with uh, 16 <laughs> Pull one out for sure. <laughs> so that evening in another ritual, he conjures several creatures called ghoulies. I, I, I can't remember. I don't remember them ever being named in the film. Uh, they're just weird, The name gross. in the book, on the pages we didn't read. <laughs> you know what they actually look like? Uh, and I'm not talking about, like, the sort of wet American rib sauce. I mean, like, the sticky, you know, Chinese sweet pork ribs. You know when yeah, it's, like, yeah, a very yeah. sticky, like, almost honeyish sauce? Yes, yes. That's what they look like. They look like um, Chinese barbecue ribs, but green and, you know, in different shapes because... There's not like a, there's not a, it's not like Gremlins where there's a uniform ghoulie. They all look different, which I probably imagine is a budget thing because. One of them was like a golemy one and one of them was like a rat one. Oh, wait. Yeah, but also wait, 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 because there's other creatures that come into it as well. Okay. How far into the movie are we now at 55 minutes into this episode? (laughs) We've got a few paragraphs to go. So he conjures these ghoulies, he proclaims himself master and demands them to hide their existence from everyone but him. One day, Rebecca comes home to find Jonathan performing a ritual much to her shock. So I don't think she actually knows that he's performing the ritual still. So she discovers it and she's like, what the hell? And it's actually like a funny scene where he's in a robe doing like a demonic ritual. There's magic and shit happening. And she's like, humph. Why didn't you tell me about like like she's she's upset like it's a normal domestic yeah, yeah. dispute like a normal familial dispute? He's like, oh fucking hell! I'm just doing some <laughs> just doing some magic around here. No, but he is become like he's basically become a master manipulator through this sort of house possession where he's basically like, no, I'm trying to discover the parents I never had. I'm doing that by you know taking part in the magic that they clearly believed in so it's me just getting closer to my parents which is a pretty fucked way to keep doing <laughs> nice this emotional form. manipulation and be like do you not want me to exactly me to right it's, it's, it's like well i mean if you want me to choose between you or my dead parents who i never knew but gifted yeah. us this house yeah I this mean... house you're living in now like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. but anyway so he explains that he was just doing that and he's going to stop his behavior they go upstairs, have sex in a very chaste sort of covers over. I don't think there's any real nudity in this scene. But meanwhile, while they're having sex, there's a ghoulie underneath the bed who draws a pentagram on the ground and he starts chanting. And it's one of those kind of comedic, kind of gross scenes where she's kind of like, ooh, what are you saying? And then she's like, no, seriously, what are you saying? And he's just like, Dominus, blah, you know, like they always speak Latin and it's like, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. and then she's like, what the fuck? And she's like, you're still doing this. Gets out. And he's like, what? Just chanting some sexy like Latin in bed. Relax. So she leaves him. This doesn't stop him from his ritual conjuring. So the next thing he does is he summons two dwarfs named Grizzle and Greedy Gut to his service who promised to give him everything he desires which i get like 
the 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 story the world of this is very confusing that as yes. as he gets better at his summoning he summons dwarves who can somehow grant his wishes but anyway that's what's happened what does he want just just you know it's the 80s they want power or okay. whatever he doesn't want a satisfying sex life of it <laughs> They explained that he must perform a dangerous ritual with seven other people to obtain the knowledge and power he seeks. Later, Rebecca returns and asks Jonathan to leave with her. So she's like, I still love you, but this house is bad for you. You've got to come with me. But he refuses. He then reveals his glowing eyes to her and she runs away. But the dwarves bewitch her to return to Jonathan. So they can also like, like hypnotize you and make you do stuff. And I love that he has glowing eyes. They're never like... Basically, it just means he's powerful now. So all of his summoning has made him like a bit of a magician. Keep in mind, this was in the Horror Isles for so long. Can you see how this is basically like a Muppet film? Yeah, like what's going on? (laughs) I love summoning stuff now. This is my new thing. (laughs) Now, he invites his friends and to this dinner party where they all wear sunglasses and they're like, Johnny, why are we all wearing sunglasses? And he's like, (laughs) you'll see. Now, he's obviously wearing sunglasses because he has glowing eyes. But it also stops them from seeing that all the food on the table is rotten and filled with ghoulies and stuff for some reason. But anyway, he bewitches all of his friends uh, to participate in the ritual. As Jonathan chants, Malcolm is resurrected from the grave. So it turns out, (laughs) not only... Did his dad try to kill him in a satanic ritual? He was somehow buried on the estate that he inherited. Yes, that's actually... You're right. So you can express your wishes for how you want your remains to be disposed of in your will. But this does just open up more testamentary law questions of... So the administrator of the estate, right, has the burial rights and has the obligation to dispose of the body. If I'm your executor, I have to go deal with... But surely with... there's some rules around where you can be buried. Exactly. You have to... Man, like, I act for a couple of cemeteries and I can the trusts that own them. I can... You need to have the authority pursuant to... In New South Wales, a piece of legislation to, to issue these licences. And the idea that it's like, ah, oh, just chuck, chuck me in the backyard. Don't tell my son for 21 years. <laughs> but also cause him to inherit the house. <laughs> like, okay. I, I think what we're starting to realise is most of these films could not happen in Sydney based on local laws, <laughs> not local this jurisdiction. Maybe this is Doppel. Maybe, maybe Doppel is telling the story between Malcolm's death and uh, Blogsy's inheritance. Now, they have this cool ritual where they all sort of like rise from the ground, but then the ritual ends... Unbeknownst to everybody, including Jonathan, Malcolm rises from the dead and they're all oblivious and they all decide to stay the night. To finally have sex. It's like we've been at this yeah. dinner party for hours now. Now yeah. Malcolm shows up and as you'd expect from a dad of someone who tried to kill his kid in a satanic ritual, he's not the benevolent patriarch that you would expect him to be. So he immediately proclaims himself the real master to the ghoulies and the dwarves and commands them to kill the group. And then what follows is a number of scenes of ghoulies going through the house, killing them all one by one. And some of the scenes are actually pretty spooky, including one featuring a giant clown doll on a rocking chair that rocks by itself while 
uh, you know, someone's alone in a room and, you know, cupboards opening without people realizing, like lots of spooky scenes. This is where the actual horror of the film comes in. Yeah, okay, that sounds pretty spooky. Jonathan apologizes to Rebecca and breaks the spell by placing the talisman around her neck, but she falls into a deep sleep. She eventually wakes up to see Jonathan in a trance and runs away. After she removes the talisman around her neck, the ghoulies attack her and she falls down a flight of stairs. Jonathan brings her to the basement to resurrect her, where he finds the dead bodies of his friends underneath ships. (laughs) So Malcolm appears with the dwarves, and this is actually pretty cool. This is where I was like, oh, I'm actually into this movie, revealing that he used Jonathan to resurrect him in order to capture his youth and sacrifice him. So what's cool about this is when he was going to sacrifice him as a kid, he wasn't actually going to just kill him and that's that. He was going to take over Jonathan's body because he was an old man when he died anyway, right? So the whole film, everything about it from, you know, him inheriting the house and being possessed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was for him to get back inside Jonathan's body. Like, even though Jonathan's older now, he's like, well, I can still assume you and then sacrifice someone else. So basically he just wants to live forever and that's the whole point of his cult and that's why he's done all this stuff. And I'm like, that's a cool story. And none of this has anything to do with the marketing or the guy on the toilet or they'll get you in the end. But it's pretty fun. And then they have a magic battle. So as a battle ensues, Malcolm resurrects Rebecca to distract Jonathan, but the dwarves alert him of the trap. Wolfgang appears with his own magical powers and fights off Malcolm. Wolfgang, remember, being the guy that saved a young Jonathan back in the day. The house begins to crumble and Wolfgang defeats Malcolm before they both disappear. Jonathan's friends and Rebecca are resurrected, (laughs) which I like... There should be consequences. Yes. Like, I, I I, feel like a horror film needs, like, even if you, and, and I feel like anything, like, all bad acts need consequences for them to mean Yes. Anything. Although maybe this uh, is what makes a horror comedy, that we go, So Jonathan's friends and Rebecca are resurrected, and they escape to drive away as the dwarves watch. Riding with Jonathan and Rebecca, Mike asks about what happened, Mike being one of the friends, Mm. but Jonathan assures him it's over. However, Mike is alarmed when he turns to the back seat and all the ghoulies jump up from the back and that's the end of the film. (laughs) (laughs) Look, that was fun. But again, there's that nostalgia element of like, you can never go back. Like I can, I can never get my head into a frame of mind that that's a film of interest or value to me. Like I don't think, <laughs> which means that it's ripe for the picking for Spooko Studios to reboot. We can get the rights for very, very little, and presumably the amount of buzz we'd get for two guys who are remaking Ghoulies would uh, would be worth the fifty dollars that um, they'd likely charge us. Peach, I'm in. Let's do it. Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up? We say Ayo, you know we're back on our J-O. Tell me how could I say no? Spook is new, oh, whatever we say goes. Yeah, because Ayo, you know we back on our J-O. Tell me how could I say no?